Hello, Duncan Green here with the weekly roundup of posts on from poverty to power. Started off Monday with uh, the traditional links I liked, uh, a couple of ones I'd pick out here. One is um, something that made me feel much better about citing myself. This is what you do when you're writing as, as an academic. You cite authors, but a remarkable number are um, your, your, your own work. And somebody's actually gone through thousands of, of, of papers and measured the average. And the average is 12.7%, which by my calculations is about one in eight. So out of every eight citations, typically one is of the author's own work. But some people do a whole lot better than that. And the world record breaker, and his name is not easy, so bear with me, is Sundrapandian Vaidyanathan from Chennai, who achieves an outstanding 94% of his citations are of his own work. So you really do have hats off to that. Um, uh, and and th that general level of um, narcissism makes me feel a whole lot better about my fairly limited, uh, I think, level of self-citation. Another really nice uh, bit was a video of some very smart chemistry grads in in the Hong Kong protests who have who found a way to neutralise tear gas by um, picking them up and shoving them in a bottle of vinegar, where which apparently seems to turn the active agent into a solid. I've no idea if that's proper chemistry, but it looked really impressive on the video, so I like that one. Most of the rest of the week was about a trip I did earlier this year to the Philippines to look at a one of the sort of iconic programs of this whole thinking and working politically movement, which is the Coalitions for Change program uh, in the Philippines, which is run by uh, the Asia Foundation with funding from uh, the Australian government. Uh, the Department for Foreign Affairs and Trade, DFAT. Um, I spent a week, a week with them earlier this year, and this, uh, the first piece was a podcast. I did interviews with the guru of Coalitions for Change, whose name is Jaime Faustino, but also with one of the CFC uh, uh, team leaders, Toik Serna, and one of their partners, Carla Michelle Yu, uh, from uh, a partner organization called Action for Economic Reform. Um, and I wanted to try and tease out with them, you know, what, what do they do? How do they actually do this thinking, working politically thing? What Coalitions for Change does is look for opportunities to do progressive reforms and then put together coalitions to try and drive those reforms of local players. They bring in bits of technical assistance. It's all explained there. Um, and I looked at um, the three, three of the many areas that CFC has touched on. One is on tobacco taxes. One is on reducing the levels of congestion in schools, too many kids per class. And the third and most heroic of all is that they've recently started to think, how can we try and reduce the level of traffic nightmare in Manila? And if anyone's been to Manila, you'll know that that is a truly Herculean task. Um, some nice little examples, you know, Carla Michelle, you looking at how do you as a lobbyist work in Philippine Congress and just describing going into the office of Manny Pacquiao, who was a famous Filipino boxer and is now a senator, who's not shown any great interest in, in their sort of thing, but then spotting that he was not surprisingly a health uh, fanatic. And he had his whole team out doing, um, you know, doing, uh, going to the gym, competitions for the person who lost the most weight, all sorts of things. And when they saw that, they reframed what they were doing about trying to increase tobacco taxes as a health issue. And suddenly Manny Pacquiao became one of their big champions. So what her point is, you can't be sure. You have to understand the, the personal motivations of the people who have, who have potential 
drivers of change and then frame your issue around their their interests so just a nice a nice little example but some really good stuff on school congestion and traffic uh, and traffic problems as well so uh, that that was quite useful and the next day I compared coalitions for change with the three adaptive management programs I've written about quite a lot in Tanzania Nigeria and Myanmar and said, yeah, well, what's different? Because CFC really is very interesting, and, I, and as were the others. So I just wanted to compare and contrast. And I looked at a couple of things on context. You know, it seems to me that this stuff is much easier to do in a MIC, in a middle-income country, than in a LIC, a low-income country like uh, Myanmar or um, Tanzania. There's a lot more uh, capable NGOs, civil society organizations, business associations, academics, the, you don't have that imbalance of power between the donor and the recipient that you get more in licks in low-income places because you know, these are you know, well-known academics or politicians in their own right. They're not going to be told what to do by donors. So you can have a more equal conversation. I think it, the, the particular role of the Asia Foundation, which has been in Manila for 65 years, has its own identity, isn't just chasing contracts. That's really helpful. And I think the Australian government seems to be particularly willing to to, um, to show patience and to trust the Asia Foundation, maybe because the budget's not massive, so it doesn't get too much attention back in Canberra. And then on the, that's the context, and then on the mechanisms of the way they do things, what struck me about both Coalitions for Change and two of the three adaptive management programs is that they kind of emerged when people started doing this stuff, they were doing it because they felt it was the way to go. No, they, no, yeah, there were no such things as seminars of about adaptive management or seminars about thinking and working politically. They only got called that afterwards. But with the last of the, um, uh, the, the adaptive management program, the one in Tanzania, we're starting to look at test tube babies where people think that they can just build an adaptive management uh, program from scratch. And it's starting to worry me that this is becoming a bit like the new blueprint. So uh, interesting, this point of emergence. A cliche, but absolutely crucial. It's all about individuals and relationships and uh, mavericks, people who can spot an opportunity that on development entrepreneurs was the phrase that Jaime Faustino became associated with. Um, I'm not sure how much of that you can do through training. I'm not sure you can turn people who are not don't have that kind of entrepreneurial mindset into entrepreneurs. So maybe it's better to get better at spotting them and bringing them in. I don't know, but there's some, the, the, the secret sauce cannot be bottled into a set of toolkits. It's actually about the individuals a lot of the time. One of the things that Coalitions for Change is proudest of is what they call stoppability, that they have a good record of stopping things when they don't think they're working or when they've, their time has passed, you know, they've, they've achieved what they're going to achieve. And that's not always something that NGOs or other aid organizations are very good at. So they actually publish a list of the things they've stopped doing, which I think is quite interesting. And then finally, um, I, I got a bunch of the uh, CFC people in a room and asked them, what are the rules of thumb? Uh, yeah, what, are you, what are the sort of questions you ask yourselves on a, on a daily basis? Because I think these are often more interesting than um, yeah, the big strategic plans and the PowerPoints and all the rest of it. So they told me what um, their rules of thumb are, which are basically, I think, handed down by Jaime. Um, don't fall in love with your reform. Keep a bit of distance. Test everything and then test it again. So never assume that you know what's going on. 
The answer is not in the office. There's no substitute for interacting with decision makers, key players. Here's a quote. We do some of our best work at weddings, baptisms and funerals where everyone's just sitting around for hours and you can talk to big, you know, big honchos, important people because they're, they're, they're killing time there. Don't get stuck in one agency or department. Constantly look for who else might need to be involved if you're working with governments. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And from the monitoring and evaluation team, if teams don't actually use this metric day to day, it's probably not useful. So let's stop using it. Let's stop doing it. And then I have one other more controversial conversation with Jaime, who is a kind of lapsed Sandinista. He was in Nicaragua in the 80s, but he's, um, I think he's moved a bit more towards the market since then. And he says, you have to trust competition. Two is always better than one. And that's true of market forces too. More market forces is better. And as you can imagine, we had quite a discussion about that because I'm not entirely convinced uh, that, that, that it's that easy or that simple. But it was a, a fascinating week. Then on um, the, the, the last post of the day uh, of the week was from Sandrine and Simiri from the from the Congo, from DRC. Really interesting. She's one of the researchers in a, in a program I'm involved with, with Mercy Corps and the LSE. Um, and it's using what I've written about and thought about quite a lot, which is diaries. So you, instead of just coming in and interviewing people once, you go back every few weeks for a long period of time, build trust, start to try and find out what's going on. And we're doing a project um, on two things, on social networks. So who do you see, who do you work, yeah, who do you trust, who do you relate to, and financial management. What do you do with the money, the little bits of money that you've got? These are poor, yeah, these are largely poor people in, in Goma, in the Eastern DRC. Um, and Sandrine wrote about why trust and intimacy are vital resources in research. Because if you're going to go and talk to people uh, about their, the way they spend money, they're going to need to trust you. So the first thing is you need trust with the gatekeepers of the community, the chef de quartier, the people who actually will say, okay, yes, you can come in and talk to people in our, in our street. So you need trust with those people in sort of with, with uh, a level of public authority. And then if you're coming in and being really nosy, yes, you can explain what you're doing over and over again and explain the purposes of the research, but actually you need to build a sense of intimacy. And what Sandrine says is basically you have to become friends with people. Uh, you have to attend weddings, funerals, tell them about your own life. Don't make it always a one-way traffic. It takes a long time. And I think it probably raises for researchers some ethical questions about to what extent do you befriend your subject and to what extent does, does that contaminate the research. But there is no option. If you really want to get people to open up to you, you can't treat them as lab rats. You have to treat them in a much more human way. And I think that's just a, a really interesting set of challenges for researchers. Um, so much of research pushes us towards the quantitative, the measurement angle, the, you know, just get the numbers and leave. That doesn't work for this kind of deep understanding of how people live their lives. And on that note, I will say goodbye and have a great weekend. Bye.